I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, the long goodbye. As those nice people with the sandwich boards might say, the end is near. The gaveling out of the 2021 session is just over the weekend rise on Memorial Day, when we'll add to our wistful remembrances the work of the last five months, as well as the performative drama of the last week or so. You didn't think we were gonna make it to the final day without some real Housewives of Austin shit, did you? The Texas House and the Texas Senate are sniping at one another. Next, you're gonna tell me jalapenos are spicy. If you've been around the ledge, you know what happens nearly every single time when the clock winds down. No matter how much has been accomplished, A fight over the remaining priorities breaks out. Feelings are hurt. Blame is cast. Motives are questioned. Some bills that everyone thought would pass easily don't. For instance, the ban on taxpayer-funded lobbying, which from the cheap seats looked at the start of the session like a layup. Some bills that are hot potatoes remain too hot to touch. The ban on transgender athletes playing school sports according to their gender identity rather than their biological sex lands in that category. But there's always another day or another 30 days. While it was the most conservative regular session in memory, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and announced and rumored primary challengers to Governor Greg Abbott and assorted liberty-loving activists aren't satisfied. They wanna come back into session immediately to get the trans, sports, and lobbying bills over the finish line, along with who knows what else. Of course, the only person who can call a special is the governor, and he doesn't seem too eager, characterizing such demands as goofy. I have questions, and I'm sure you do too. Will Abbott accede to the wishes of Patrick and the others? Will they agree to wait until fall when the redistricting process is set to play out in an already certain special session? Leaving aside what happens next, was it a good session for Texas or a bad one? Did the people's business get done? Heading into an election year, who stays and who goes? As the 2022 primary and general election fields take shape, who'll be jumping out of the ledge and into various races? Whose retirement plans will be announced in the waning days or soon after? I can think of no two people I'd rather get answers to those questions from then my final point of order guests of the 87th, State Representative Donna Howard, Democrat of Austin, and State Senator Kel Seliger, Republican of Amarillo, respected veterans of their chambers and straight shooters for as long as I've known them. I sat down with them on the morning of May 28th, the Friday before Sani died, day 137 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by Lone Star College, now offering bachelor's degrees in nursing, cybersecurity, and energy and manufacturing that are affordable and close to home. LoneStar.edu. And by the Invest Texas Council. Texas has the opportunity to encourage private investment to strengthen our infrastructure. The Invest Texas Council wants Texas to remain the premier state economy in the nation. InvestTexasCouncil.com and Texas State Technical College, 
Now with 10 campuses across the state and 20 new 100% online programs, students can learn the skills necessary to start a great new career, tstc.edu. And the Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery, providing credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands, tacc.org. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texas. So I realize gambling was not legalized this session, but I want you to place a bet. Uh, will we be back this summer for a special session? Representative Howard, what's your bet? Well, it really has a lot to do with what Senator Seliger's uh, side of the of, of the chambers has, has to, what they're going to decide over there, I think. But uh, bottom line is, um, I'm hoping we're not coming back until the fall. We're coming then anyway. So if there's uh, business to take care of. Let's take care of it then. Yeah, it's always the Senate's fault, Senator. Of Sullivan, course, right. <laughs> well, that's that's not altogether untrue, because we are singularly determined in a lot of areas. But to simply come back for stuff that didn't pass, because in a lot of areas, a lot of people think it was flawed. It's not a good enough reason to come back and spend taxpayer money. We know we're coming back in the fall right. to to deal with redistricting. That's soon enough. Yeah, that was actually my own bet. I mean, so it sounds like you're betting also fall. I mean, I'll tell you my reaction when I heard the calls for a special this summer to come back immediately as opposed to waiting was you're really going to spend taxpayer money. That was your point, Senator, which I agree with. You're going to spend taxpayer money to bring everybody back, disrupt everybody's lives, have them come back now when they could simply wait three months or four months and do the same things in October that they would do in June. That to me doesn't make any sense. No, it, no, to come back for things that already died on taxpayer money. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, it's not like you didn't vote on this stuff. You did, or you chose not to do them. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. So, Senator Seliger, start with the 30,000-foot view. Was this session good for your Senate district? Was it good for Texas? Was it good for my Senate district? Yes, because I think it was a pretty good session for public education and transportation and and things like that. Was it good for the state of Texas? In a way, no. And because we have made so many laws in the state of Texas that we're now down to other than a few necessities, we're just fooling around and looking for areas to regulate and things like that. So we regulated so much at the state level uh, that now we're down just picking on, on cities and counties and people think that it is necessary for the state to regulate how many chickens your city allows or does not allow in your backyard, which strikes me as very odd. That's between an individual and, and, yeah. and the, the public. And we do things like regulate how people are going to run police departments and things like that. The taxpayers' residents today in Texas are perfectly capable of regulating those things and setting the standards yeah. for law enforcement, uh, but they have to go to the polls to do it. I don't like the idea of alleviating them of that responsibility. 
Now, now, Senator, you're a Republican and you're a conservative, although there are probably some, I know this will come as a huge shock to you, who don't think that you're the most conservative guy in the Senate, right? You know this. I'm shocked. Um, from the perspective of ideology rather than geography, this is a pretty conservative session. You have a pretty conservative district, mm-hmm. and this is a pretty conservative state. So in that respect, if we have a conservative state, you have a conservative district, you had a conservative session, surely that was good. Yes. Right? Yeah, I have a very conservative district, and I am conservative. Uh, yeah. I am not a doctrinaire conservative, and, and I think that, that, that I try to take a long view and see the effects of the things that we're going to do long into the future. Right. Also, conservative has come to mean a different thing at the moment than it maybe used to. Altogether. Right? It's... That, that, that's another part of it. Uh, Representative Howard, I was going to ask you what you thought of the session, but you told me on Twitter this morning. <laughs> what did you, I say? You, you, <laughs> tweeted, you tweeted the following quote, I assume approvingly, because why would you have not tweeted it? You, or wouldn't you have not tweeted it then? You tweeted the following quote this morning, quote, Texans of goodwill, today you're living through the American equivalent of the Weimar Republic, and history has placed us at the epicenter of far right-wing ascendance in American politics. Boy, you went all Weimar Republic on us. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, that that article resonated with me. Um, Yeah. You know, you just asked the senator about how this session was for his district, yeah, of course, as I want well to know the same from you, well, right, yeah. It's a totally different response you're going to get from me because I represent Austin. And uh, there was, I, I, I look at this as, as a whack-a-mole session in terms of, of having to protect my community and its ability to uh, manage itself. And I, I appreciate uh, the former mayor recognizing that the local communities actually can take care of local business. Um, you know, every time we turned around, there was uh, bills that were filed for disannexation of parts of Austin. And I will tell you also, those were filed by people who do not live in this district, do not even live in Austin or our surrounding communities necessarily. Um, and then we also had sound ordinances and we had Austin Energy trying to regulate that more. Um, the, the the chillers, the water chillers of Austin Energy. We had legislation on that, and then of course the big ones we had were dealing with the the homeless situation, and yep. the so-called defund police uh, situation. Um, just constantly looking at uh, regulating for 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 those that claim that they are anti-regulation or over-regulation. I don't know how you could look at this any other way than to say we were over-regulating uh, local communities and their ability to manage themselves through their local elected officials. Yeah. yeah, but of course, what they really are, Representative Howard, is not any regulation. They're Annie Austin. That's it. Exactly. That's right? why you hear a very different response from from uh, Senator Seliger and myself. <laughs> Right. Okay. But let me, let me, as a resident of Austin who loves this city, let me push back and say, didn't Austin do this to itself? Hasn't this session been an example, an emblem of a great big self-own, as the kids say, on the part of Austin? Didn't Austin put itself willingly, knowingly, and enthusiastically in the crosshairs of this legislature? To a certain extent, yes. Uh, Part of the challenge that Austin has is uh, this is actually where the capital 
is. This is where the legislators come. They, they see all around them uh, decisions that are made by our local officials. And a, a lot of it they actually enjoy uh, and are glad to be here to participate in, but they see when things uh, go awry as well. And they get very resentful of that. Um, the homeless situation was of course, uh, a, a decision that was made about decriminalizing those that uh, do not have shelter. And uh, that I think is a good goal. The, the unfortunate thing is that it was put in place before there was a real plan to provide shelters to those folks. Um, and then it was exacerbated almost immediately by COVID, which, yeah. uh, which, which really just got things out of control. And um, you know what I would suggest is whether I like the outcome or not, the local community came together and forced a, a, an election uh, that changed the trajectory of how this was going to be dealt with local communities took care of making sure that local elected officials uh, chose to do what the majority wanted. That's how this should work. We do not need the state right. legislature and people from, I don't know, Senator, maybe Midland Odessa telling Austin what they need to do, right? So, Sen Senator, do you hate Austin? Do you think that, <laughs> no. do, you, do you think that it's the business? <laughs> No, but is, 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 are you are you out of your lane by telling Austin what to do? Sure. And would you would you like it if D Donna Howard told the residents of Amarillo what they had to do? No, no. But we we do welcome suggestions. And I'm when, sure I would make very good suggestions, Kel. When, when Representative Howard says they don't like people in Austin being told what to do by by Midland. Well, you might be well served, but. Um, I tell people this all the time, you have the local government and services that you deserve based upon who you voted for or you, if you didn't go vote. Over time, a city like Austin is not going to have less police. It's going to have better police and it needs to, to re-image, if you will forgive the, the use, uh, recruiting and training and a complete cultural overhaul, certainly the case in Minneapolis, but should we now go, should the federal government tell Minneapolis how to run it? No, they should do it themselves. Uh, the, one of the things that we saw that, that, that renews my faith in people's control over their local government is the whole camping thing. I think they made some terrible mistakes and it was a blight on the city and the, the local residents had a petition for election got an election, the city of Austin is going to have to do a complete 180 and, and they're right. going to have to really rethink their, their leadership in city hall. That's up to them. Well, and in fact, the voters made clear their point of view on this, and that's accountability, sure. as right. opposed to accountability from the state coming in and saying, we're going to tell you how to do this. You, right. you got right. the local government you deserve. Right. So, so I've been thinking a lot about this session in terms of expectations. Did it play out the way we thought it would at the beginning? And I'm, I'm thinking of three uh, aspects of this in particular. Uh, Representative Howard, you and I can both do math, even though we're not mathematicians. We know <laughs> what the election produced in the way of a partisan split in the House and Senate last time. Elections have consequences is the oldest chestnut in the world. You all came into this session no better than you were from a partisanship standpoint last time. Republicans had the votes to do pretty much whatever they wanted, and, and they did. In the end, 
Didn't your party have a math problem? In that respect, it probably was what we expected. Uh, yeah, well, to your point that we came into this session with the same partisan split that we had in the 2019 session, and yet very different results in how the session played out. Uh, I, I've told you before that, that my office, uh, we name the sessions and yep. uh, the 2019 session, we named Elections Matter. And that was because of the results of, of the elections coming into 2019. Uh, many more Democrats were elected. It gave, I think, a little bit of a scare to some of my Republican colleagues. And there was a decision made to really focus on public education to get down to the things that were really gonna make a difference in the day-to-day -day lives of Texans and not deal so much with uh, the social issues like the bathroom bill of the previous session. Uh, so elections really had consequences, as you said. We come to this session and we're looking at this as elections matter 2.0. I don't know what the tagline's gonna be yet, but the fact is that even though we had the same numbers, the uh, the election was the election campaign cycle was pretty brutal and uh, extremely uh, costly and and competitive. And when the 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 math didn't play out the way people were anticipating on both sides of the aisle, actually were anticipating, uh, it became uh, apparent that there was no reason to have to accommodate the kinds of um, uh, of working together that we had in the previous session because they had not only won, but they won handily and with a large gap. Uh, so this session has been one of what I would consider to be steamrolling uh, of, yeah. of the red meat issues, uh, despite the fact that when we came into this session, we were assuming we were gonna be focused on addressing COVID, a challenging budget, uh, looking at the need to expand healthcare coverage. And then of course, pretty immediately got struck with the URI freeze and right. had to be tackling our whole uh, energy system. Um, you know, huge issues to be dealing with. And, and, so, and we've dealt with those to some extent, but the vast majority of this session has been uh, focused on uh, red meat issues. And so elections matter, yes both ways from the previous session to this session, even though the numbers were the same, the results were very different. You know, Senator Seliger, I hear what Representative Howard is saying. I can't argue with what she's saying in terms of how she's characterized this, but I would actually argue that in the respect that elections had consequences, Republicans understood that they held the Democrats off in this last election. They dodged a bullet. Democrats had their best chance to get back in the conversation politically in a, in a generation, and they, and they basically face-planted as a party didn't take back control of the House, didn't get the speakership, didn't win the presidential race at the state level, won no congressional seats, picked up a total of one seat in the Senate, and then you all just changed the rules so that instead of 19 votes to bring something up, you only needed 18. And so you guys were emboldened by the fact that you held the Democrats off heading into redistricting where you can now tighten your grip on control of the state. In that respect, elections did have consequences, Senator, didn't they? They, they always have consequences. Yeah, and and the, the, the it's not like the Democrats. It, it was not a complete face plant. 
they uh, they elect better people and and some really good ones. And we are going to help them uh, one of these days take over because right now the Democratic Party is running against two parties. It's running against a good deal more authoritarian big government uh, Republican Party and the Republican Party that took the majority in the first place. Yeah. And that sort of, of division is going to do the same thing, I'm afraid, to our party that it did to the Democratic Party in the early 90s, which is a schism that, uh, that has to be addressed. We, um, we did some things. If you look at the response to the, the storm system, URI, and a huge bill like House Bill 4492, which was designed to mitigate some of the costly effects on ratepayers, people who might have a $120 electric bill one month and then get a $600 electric bill that they can't pay. We worked very, very well with the House. If you look at the COVID response, people concentrate on the ideological things that we got into about emergency powers and things like that, that we were not prepared. And look at the response itself and the support for that response and the funding of it was very good. Very cooperative, and and uh, and we probably did almost as well as any other state, or better than most. And so uh, we are learning to to work together. I think a lot of of Democrats in this in the Senate would tell you on the issues that relate to social issues and, and stuff like that. We're still very much apart, and and there's still the majority and the minority. But I think there are areas, if you look at the number of bills passed by Democrats in the Senate, uh, there's a lot of them. And I think they will tell you the treatment was, was fair and even, but there's still an ideological divide uh, between Republicans and Democrats. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It means people well, get the full diversity of opinions. Well, well, but the headline, Senator, coming out of the session is going to be that you all managed to accomplish some things on the rightward end of, of the spectrum that you couldn't accomplish in previous sessions where the numbers were the same. To Representative Howard's point, you know, permitless carry of handguns was a Jonathan Stickland joke bill just one session ago, right? It didn't even make because Speaker Bonin got so angry at the way the issue was being pressed that he basically disabled the conversation from the start. Um one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country. There have been attempts by this legislature to restrict access to abortion for as many sessions as I can recall. And in fact, the Mississippi case that the Supreme Court has taken up, frankly, may overwhelm this discussion a year from now if in fact Roe versus Wade gets overturned. But the fact is we have now one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country, didn't happen in, in previous sessions. Changes to election law that Again, as we sit here today on the 28th, the final I's and T's are not dotted and crossed, but the reality is that we're almost certainly going to have election law changes similar to what's happened around the state. Those are three examples of things that if I'm a Democrat and a senator, a Democrat in the House, I look at that and I think, what happened? It is the steamroller, Senator Seliger, that Representative Howard is talking about. How is it not the steamroller? Majorities always have the option of being a steamroller. That is yeah. the nature of it, not just a majority in, in, in the legislature, but every single statewide office. The base right. of the Republican Party is still being moved by the far right Texas Public Policy Foundation and, and the enormous amount of money that they and others put into elections. Right. That hasn't changed. 
Yeah, and you know, Senator Seliger is always held out, not you personally, but you kind of existentially are always held out by some Democrats as the levy. Well, you know, most Republicans are going to go for this steamroller stuff, but Senator Seliger is not. He's going to be with us on this. You supported permitless carry, correct? I don't know that I, I was I was a big supporter of it at the end of the day. Well, you voted yes or you yes. voted no. You yeah. voted yes, you supported it. I, at right? the end of the day, I, I did vote for the amended version because I didn't think it was going to have much effect. And sheriffs around the state of Texas felt the same way. Yeah, and you voted for the restrictive abortion law that I'm referring to, SB8. You voted for that. Yep. You're pro-life. Yeah. And you're supportive of the election law changes? In large part. And, yeah. and, and was, when Senator Hughes, and I believe this was his purpose, to see to it that, that it was easy to vote and it was hard to cheat. Have we gone too, too far in some areas? We'll see. And we will fix them over time. But there are more and more people voting in Texas election. We're going to have longer hours at the polls and more options. I'm one of those people. I don't care if people drive through vote or vote by mail, as long as we can ascertain that every vote is a legal vote. Right. And it's, it's yeah, the voter security that's that, the big issue with me. Before I go to Representative Howard on this, just to be clear, are you solving a problem that exists or doesn't exist? Was there voter fraud in the election in 2020 to a degree that required laws like the ones we're about to pass? Did this election require the laws? No, I think people are starting to, to think about the future and want to make sure we have those yeah. laws. Given people's additional electronic capabilities and the fact that people are catch, catching on to you can influence elections by doing things that you shouldn't do. Yeah, we need okay. to be putting in place now those things that will keep from cheating without preventing people from voting. And that's, you know, one of these days we're all going to be voting on computer anyway. Representative Howard, uh, you remember when the Democrats ran the state, not the Republicans, right? We're both old enough to remember, yes. as the saying goes. <laughs> yes. Did, didn't you guys steamroll the Republicans when they were in the minority? Let's not pretend that it's not the standard deal here that the majority steamrolls the minority. Oh, I, I, absolutely. That's, I'm, I would not dispute that, though I wasn't uh, a legislator at that time. Certainly that's that's what my recollection would be. Uh, same with redistricting, you know, whether it's the Democrats or the Republicans that are in control, it's typically been a very uh, incumbent friendly uh, partisan um, process that favors the party that's uh, in the yeah. majority. I mean, that, that is how it works. It's an incumbency protection program, yeah. right? right? That's always what it right. is. Right, right, right. Well, and uh, certainly I, I also look at it, as, speaking of elections, as uh, virtually stuffing the ballot box because you are creating districts to ensure uh, elections turn out a certain way. Uh, to me, that's, uh, that's a election uh, uh, mismanagement in a sense. And yeah. it's also uh, just, as I said, virtually stuffing the ballot box. Yeah. Um, you're not really surprised in the end that this stuff not only passed, but sailed through permitless carry and uh, well, reverse, restrictive abortion laws. I mean, I know which, I know how you come down on this stuff. You are a no on permitless carry. You're a no on the changes to voting. You're a no on the abortion law. You're a hell no, in fact, on the abortion law, not just a no. Well, but the reality is, you know, you can count the, 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 the numbers in the House and Senate. It's no surprise that they sailed through. It's no surprise that they sailed through. The surprise is that they got to the floor in the first place. Right. That's what has uh, has been so different about this session. You you pointed out 
what happened with permitless carry with uh, Speaker Bonin. It also was kept off the floor by Speaker Strauss. These right. were considered to be extreme actions that didn't deserve to be on the floor and, and knowing that they were going to be able to sail through based on the numbers. Yeah. Admit so, it, you miss Speaker Strauss, don't you? He was the valve, wasn't he? he was, it, it, well, certainly he was the valve on several things, including protection of, of our transgender community, yes. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a second. I mean, when I'm thinking about Speaker Strauss, a, a difference to me, and we'll also come to Speaker Phelan in a second, is that Speaker Strauss did two things. He exerted his influence in subtle ways to keep things from coming to the floor, one imagines, and he appointed committee chairs yes. who were valves in and of themselves. Yes. You know, yes. A, a Speaker mm -hmm. Strauss might not have appointed Representative Kane to chair the election committee, for instance. Might not have. Might not have. Um, I want to ask you about some things that didn't happen, Senator Seliger. Um, marijuana and gambling are kind of baubles on the charm bracelet at the moment, right? There was probably no chance they were going to happen, but we're getting to a point where we're going to have to have serious conversations about one or both, aren't we? Sure, I think so, because there are issues that, that involve the opinions of, of people. We increased the amount of uh, THC that can be in prescription. Uh, uh, CBD-containing prescriptions, we increased that yeah. percentage. And I think that's good. We did the, the measure that said the penalties will be the same for all forms in the same amounts, be it a, a joint or a gummy. Or the, or the concentrate, right? Didn't yeah, you the actually, concentration. Yeah, um, right. Casino gambling is going to happen when the big city Republicans come, come out of it. They want to cut local taxes so much and things like that, that one of these days, when we look around for additional sources of revenue, that's going to appear pretty ripe. And well, well, we're sending our tourist dollars from a gambling perspective to Oklahoma, and we're sending our tourist dollars from a pot perspective to Colorado. It'd be nice if <laughs> we keep that money in the state, right? But we are still a state with the, the, that is very much influenced by the post-prohibition blue laws. Yeah that have more to do with, with the religious adherence to people than, than anything else. And I mean, that's you know, on, the, on the, yeah, on, on the marijuana thing, I mean, certainly that seems to be the case that there's some reluctance just from a personal behavior standpoint, there's an old line of thinking that seems to be driving the Senator, right? Well, the point is, is we should not practice medicine from the floor of the Senate. Your doctor can prescribe you morphine, fentanyl, yeah all these things that are highly narcotic and even dangerous. And so for people who find, I think there needs to be some more peer reviewed research, but if your physician finds that something in a, some Peruvian root or a, a, a marijuana plant is good for you, I have no interest in getting between you and your doctor. The standards ought to be very high. And I think they are right. when they come to prescriptions. Um, but we don't know if people think at some point just the recreational smoking of marijuana, we're a lot farther from that than we are the simple use of THC-containing substances. I mean, remember, this is a session in which Rick Perry was advocating for magic mushrooms to treat PTSD for veterans. I mean, we've turned Rick Perry into wavy gravy, right? But we haven't been able to get to a place where we're comfortable <laughs> with medical marijuana. That's kind of an amazing thing to me. Yeah, I'm amazing David Dewhurst is Timothy Leary. 
You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that I want to talk about David Dewhurst this just, session. Just we're, going to give him, we're going to give him a pass. We're going to give him a pass. For the, the simple fact of the matter is we, need, we should not get between a, a, a physician and their patients. That's not our right. job. Except uh, when we're uh, talking, I'm sorry, but except when we're talking, yeah, there you go. Except when we're talking about women's health care. Yeah, yeah, I knew Pre Representative Howard could not wait to get in and say, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're telling me we're going to start now not practicing health from the floor of the House? <laughs> the Senate? But the way those are treated, they're, they're not treated as medical issues, but moral issues. And there's the distinction. And, yeah. and we're, we're good at that. Representative Howard, you agree. Rep representing the People's Republic of Marijuana, you understand that, uh, <laughs> that, that here, here in Austin, the view may not be the same as in Amarillo. I do understand that. But, I, you know, I also recognize that uh, Representative Stephanie Click, who has carried this legislation, Right. Um, and, and certainly does not represent anywhere near uh, even a, a moderate stance normally. She's definitely a, a, a strong conservative voice. She's no liberal. Yes, right. exactly. And, and other states have increased significantly the amount of, of, of what they can be contained in, in the, the cannabis that's uh, effective medically. And again, to Kel's point, this is something that should be based on science, on what medicine has determined is appropriate, instead of legislators coming in and for moral reasons or yeah. uh, reasons of, of not really understanding the situation because they're not scientists or physicians, uh, determining what the appropriate level is. That's, that's, that's not our job. Uh, uh, marijuana and gambling did not get done, and probably no surprise to anybody, Medicaid expansion did not get done. Senator Seliger, you went to Dartmouth. You're smart. <laughs> Tell me how taking $5.4 billion back from the federal government in exchange for $600 million in, so $600 million in, $5.4 billion back, 1.27 million Texans um, immediately covered according to the Bush School at A&M. How is that a bad deal? Why are we not talking about this, especially at a time when the economic downturn during the pandemic added 659,000 more people to the uninsured rolls, which were already the highest in the country before the pandemic? It's, it's a real struggle because as the state continues to grow, there will be more and more people who are medically indigent. And yeah. I think we're finding a way to do that. We're operating still under the umbrella that everybody sees Medicaid and Obamacare as the same thing, and they are not. At the same time, we uh, increased the coverage for postpartum depression. We tripled it, which I think was an important thing to do. And, and This is two months to six months as opposed to the 12 months that the House wanted. Yeah, and, and there's a, I think the, the feeling was... Uh, let's go three times instead of six times and see what we accomplish incrementally by going to, to six months. And uh, what does is, what is the payment do for the next six months? I think it was very, very productive, could very, very well go up. And, uh, but the thought was, let's go there incrementally. Uh, I was for it either way. But yeah. uh, I, I, I don't mind taking a, a, a little bit more conservative approach to it as well. Uh, uh, Representative Howard, this question of only going to six months as opposed to 12 months, Senator Seliger was putting the ball on the tee for you. Whack yeah. at it. Yeah. Whack it. 
Well, we have, again, looking at the science and the health professionals who work in this area, we actually have a state-sanctioned uh, task force committee that looks at this, that has been looking at the maternal morbidity and mortality issues for the past uh, several years. And they have repeatedly come out with reports that have indicated one of the primary recommendations being expand Medicaid coverage from two months postpartum to 12 months postpartum. Those are the people that we have tasked with studying this who have the expertise, that's the recommendation. The, the, the deaths that occur to women after they've delivered babies occur up until a year after delivery. And access to care is one of the big determinants in trying to protect these women from chronic morbidity, as well as actual death. We talk about valuing uh, lives, about valuing uh, having babies. When you become pregnant, they're having their babies and then they're dying because they don't have the healthcare access that they need. Uh, I don't think we need to wait incrementally and look at six months. We know what the science and the, the physicians tell us. 12 months is, is needed here. And uh, over half of the births in Texas are to women who are on Medicaid. This is a, this is a huge issue. And it, again, disproportionately impacts women of color, especially black women. And the fact that we couldn't spend another $40 million is what this would cost. That's in a, a quarter In a quarter trillion yes. dollar budget. Right? Exactly. It's, it's, it's a lot of money, but in the greater scheme of things, it's extremely yeah. doable. Uh, Senator Seliger, so there were three issues that the lieutenant governor, your presiding officer, has called out. Priority bills that did not make. The, the, uh, the reason that he talked about a June special session and others have talked about it is because principally these three pieces of legislation did not pass. Let me ask you about these. Taxpayer-funded lobbying, um, which to me seemed like something that was going to pass without much trouble this session, right? There seemed to be quite a lot of momentum. Um, it stalled. You were opposed to it, correct? Absolutely. The ban on taxpayer-funded uh, lobbying. Absolutely. And again, I'm now talking to the former mayor of Amarillo, not the state senator, right? Well, you get both. You get both, <laughs> right. Um, Representative Lyle Larson last week on this podcast said, again, a lot of members in the legislature should consider running for office at the local level, passing bills at the state level that adversely impact cities and counties is the opposite of the devolution of government that Reagan advocated, run for mayor or council and sell your ideas there. That was a May 1st tweet of Representative Larson's. You agree with that. People at the state level don't understand what it's like to run cities and counties. No, of course not. And have, have completely disavowed any value to local control. We are unfortunately becoming the, the, the party of big government and big government means we run things from here. Yeah. And if we don't like the way locals are doing things, then local control means control the locals. It means right? that we need to determine that people in, that what the city council and Spearman can do when it comes to, uh, the number of chickens you can keep in your backyard, which is a bill that passed. Yeah. Uh, Representative Howard, one of the other bills that is a priority bill from the Senate that did not make 
and of course has been the talk of the legislature and of Texas and of the country has been the bill that sought to prevent transgender athletes from participating in school sports based on their gender identity as opposed to their biological sex. Why didn't the House pass this bill in your mind? Well, first, let me just say that uh, to your point earlier and some other things you've talked about, this is again, a, a solution in search of a problem. There's very little evidence that this is an issue, uh, little to none evidence here that this is an issue. Um, why it didn't pass in the House, I, I can't tell you exactly, but I will remind you, which I think you probably know already, of the podcast that you did last at the end of last session. when With, uh, with then Chairman uh, of State Affairs, Dade Phelan, now exactly. Speaker Dade Phelan. Exactly. Right. Who, uh, in that interview, said that he was through with us uh, having legislation on the floor that was going to be harmful to the gay community. Yeah. I, I can't remember how he phrased it exactly, but that was the gist of it. We're, we're done hating on the gay community. That, that was it. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know exactly why it didn't happen, but I'm very yeah. grateful that it didn't happen. We This is really takes a toll on these families and these children. And it, I find it shameful that we continue to drag them through this and politicize uh, who these people are and what these families are doing to, to just live their lives and take care of themselves and their own families. Senator, you voted for this bill in the Senate, did you not? I did. And the, the, a legislature cannot change either physiognomy or muscular muscularity and things like that. And in talking to people who have been very successful female athletes, feel that, that it, this sort of thing works the way a, a performance enhancing device or, or substance might work. And uh, I, I, I really, I viewed this, that it was a far more pragmatic ap approach than it was to one of gender identity. But you know that it's being taken by families of these kids and, of, and by the gay community and by the non-gay community in some places as an unnecessary assault on trans kids and trans Texans. And, and, to, that, and to that, you say what? It, it has nothing to do with gender identity. It has to do with athletic capability. Uh, let me ask you about the social media bill, Senator Seliger. Uh, you, I believe you also, I, I was looking up your vote on this. It looks to me that you voted against it and then maybe voted toward the back part of it for it. Tell me where you come down on this. This would have um, uh, uh, either punished or prevented social media companies for banning conservative. I don't viewers. know. I don't recall the second time I've been told that and I don't know why there shows the a journal, vote. The I'm journal in. may not be right. So where are you on the issue? Tell Absolutely us Absolutely opposed. I think You're it opposed. is the epitome of, of big government and and um, it, you've got a private company. Let, let me ask you this. If you choose not to broadcast my rantings on here, are you censoring me? There is an ownership and Twitter is a private company. And if I write a letter to the New York Times and they choose not to publish, am I being censored? And uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a terrible bill. And in a decision in the Supreme Court, uh, in, I think it was the Supreme Court or appeals court in New York, where Donald Trump threw 41 people off of his Twitter feed. The legal decision was that President Trump was entitled to do that. It was his Twitter feed. And so people want to make it illegal. 
Um, I don't buy that argument at all about, yeah. about Twitter and Facebook being some new sort of virtual town square. It is not. It is a private business that does what they want. And, and so what is Donald Trump doing? He's going to have his own social media network and he can throw Donna off. <laughs> I'm not going to get on it. <laughs> no. my, my, my experience is she's, she's not super spicy on social media. Um, uh, Re Representative Howard, I'm, I'm moved to observe that the same people voting to prevent the social media companies from censoring conservatives are perfectly happy to tell teachers you can't teach Nicole Hannah-Jones in school and the 1619 Project called out by name. Yeah, kind of ironic, isn't it? Um, the, the fact that we are entering this era of, of, of actually dictating what can and cannot be said in classrooms and, and dictating that we cannot talk about uh, what's happened with the development of our country and how, uh, how our evolving way of, of, of dealing with our diversity that has absolutely included uh, racism and segregation and all kinds of other things. Why that can't be talked about, why we can't have critical thinking as a part of what happens in our schools. Uh, I fear for the future if we are going to have people who are only allowed to learn and hear about certain things and uh, not able to actually develop those critical thinking skills, which are gonna be necessary in order to determine what their legislatures are doing that may be taking away some of their rights and privileges. Senator Seliger, the opponents of the bill to prevent the teaching of critical race theory in schools say that it's a whitewashing of our history, that we're not telling our young people what actually happened. We're not approving of it, but we're not telling them what happened. We're giving them an incomplete picture of history. What do you say to that? I'm a big fan of people making, having information available. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's perfectly appropriate for young people to expose to critical race theory. It is just that, it is a theory. I think it has some real serious flaws. Does it hurt our children to know that it exists and people have that theory? Yep. And people have all, will also be exposed to things like eugenics and things like that. They need to know what it is. We had in the, the Senate bill that people must be taught from the, re, the, the writings of Thomas Jefferson and the Federalist Papers and things like that. Um, I think a lot of times kids need to read things like Marx and Engels so they know how truly flawed those socialistic systems are. You need to understand those things that, yep. that, that you don't like, not wait to be told by, by ideologues on one side or the other what is wrong. Be exposed and be, make up your own mind. Be just make, make, up, make up your own mind, yeah, yeah. Um, we have just a little bit more time left. I wanna ask about redistricting and I, I'm conscious that I'm talking to the former chair of the redistricting committee in the Senate um, uh, on, this, on this call. We are gonna come back in October. We're gonna have data from the federal government finally, much later than we hope and we're going we're gonna, to uh, begin the process of redrawing maps. Senator Seliger, is there any way that the, the redrawing of maps does not benefit Republicans? Uh, the, the benefit to Republicans in redistricting is decreasing as the size of Texas gets larger and the largest growing population there is, is Latino. 
and we need to that this that's the target for Republicans. We are very closely constrained by the Voting Rights Act uh, of 1964, and, and that's the first thing you start in redistricting map is how is that affected? We're going to get two new uh, legislative seats, two new congressional seats. One, if not both are liable to be Democratic seats and quite likely Latino seats. And um, other than that, you're not going to see a lot of changes, uh, I, I don't think. I think that um, it will be a, a Republican map. Yeah. But it's, it's going to court. And uh, we'll see what the changes are made. The changes will probably that the courts make will probably be smaller ones. Because we cannot ignore the real, the real population characteristics of the state of Texas. It's, it's a real challenge. Representative Howard, are you as optimistic as Senator Seliger seems to be that the new congressional seats are going to be Democratic seats? Because I'll tell you, I'd be shocked if Republicans <laughs> handed those new seats to Democrats. Well, well I, think, I think you said, <laughs> I think you were suggesting perhaps, Senator, that one of those two seats. But regardless, uh, I, I'm not real hopeful about that. Um, I do agree with uh, what the senator's saying, though, about where the growth has been in this state. And if we're going to be truly reflective uh, in congressional representation of where the growth has been, then uh, I would see those two seats certainly being uh, more favorable to uh, a Latino population and perhaps to being Democratic. But that being said, you know, I think the senator also said he doesn't see a whole lot of changes happening. And that doesn't bode well for those of us here in, in Austin and Travis County, where we have been uh, hacked up into uh, six congressional districts, none of right. which, none of which contain even 25% of, of our community. So though some would argue, well, hey, you're lucky, you've got six congressional reps. Quite frankly, right. uh, we only really have Senator, I mean, Representative Doggett, who uh, has been a part of Austin for so long that I would say he absolutely does represent us. But the mo most of the rest, you know, they stretch to all corners of the state. Well, and in fact, <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd Doggett has been kept from having the, the entirety of, uh, of Austin, right? I mean, he's, we, Austin does not have a congressman entirely contained within, within Austin, right? That's been the yeah. big- It's that's important been the to remember component. that most of the growth in Texas has been in the urban areas and in the valley. Right. right. And uh, in, Republicans have have been treated pretty roughly in those areas, certainly statewide. Well, look, look, I mean, the, the, the politics of this, Senator, I mean, I, you know, somebody once said to me, taking the politics out of redistricting is like taking the calories out of fried chicken. You know who said that to me? Kel Seliger. I was going to say it was a brilliant observation. But. It was a brilliant observation by Kel Seliger. All right. Um, last bit here before we go. I want to get to 2022. Uh, Senator Seliger, have you endorsed Don Huffines yet or are you waiting until after the session? I have not. No. Will you be endorsing Senator Huffines? I don't know that I'll be endorsing anyone at all. <laughs> That's an interesting answer because you didn't say no. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going to against against Governor Abbott. No. no. Uh, Representative Howard, have you endorsed Matthew McConaughey yet, or are you waiting until after the session? <laughs> um, I don't know what he would run as, so certainly um, I'm going to hold off on any endorsement in that case. There are a lot of Democrats who are putting all their chips on the Matthew McConaughey square. It sounds like you're not. Um, I don't even know that he'd run as a Democrat. Do you know that? 
Well, I don't know it. I think most people make the facile argument that he seems to be for legal marijuana, so he must be a Democrat. But that to me seems <laughs> as crazy as every other aspect of this, right? <laughs> Do you think we're actually right. having a conversation about him. Do you think Eva Longoria would run as a Republican? Oh, I think there's not a chance in hell, Senator. But anyway, um, um, all right, uh, uh, Senator uh, Seliger, because of redistricting, and maybe it would have been the case anyway, you're on the ballot next time, yes. 2022. Are you running for re-election? I'm announcing nothing right now. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. If you know you're running, just say it. But but I don't, and so I'm not. Okay, so you don't know that you're running again. You may run again, you may not. Yeah, that's a good place to put it right now. Will you announce your plans at some point post-session in the fall? Some what, what's your what's your timetable? Uh, maybe around the time we get through special session and redistricting. Okay. Representative Howard, uh, you going to come back again for another term? I'm the same place that Kel is. You know, I'm so focused on what's going on now. The thought of whether or not I would come back next time is really not something I've get, given a lot of attention to. Um, and I think we have to look at what happens with redistricting. I, I think it, it's kind of like, you know, of course, Kel can't relate to this, but it's kind of like having a baby. You know, uh, you forget what it was like and then you decide, OK, yeah, maybe I will go ahead and have another baby. Uh, right. it, same with, with serving in the legislature. After a period of time, you realize maybe you want to come back because you really liked being involved in that policy making. Uh, but when we're in the midst of what we're in right now, it's kind of hard to right. think about it. <laughs> There's nothing cute and cuddly about $600 a month to have to eat this much shit for five months, is there? No. <laughs> yeah, that is one way. That is one way. Yeah. All right. Um, That's one way to put it. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guests, Donna Howard and Kel Seliger. And thanks to the sponsors of this episode, Lone Star College, the Invest Texas Council, Texas State Technical College, the Texas Association of Community Colleges, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the last couple of days of the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. We're so grateful you tuned in this session. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.